Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. When President Biden made a surprise visit to Ukraine last week, some Republicans criticized his priority, saying that his attention to foreign issues eclipsed his attention to the drama unfolding around the toxic train derailment in East Palestine. Other Republicans reiterated their support for the embattled country, further exposing yet another fault lying among members, uh, Republican members of Congress. We're talking to national politics today. Joining us is political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. Ken, welcome back. Thank you, Ann. Good morning. Happy March. Happy March, indeed. So it seems like almost everything's exposing fault lines in the parties, uh, Republicans in particular. Uh, they have a narrow majority in the House. They need uh, all the support they can get among themselves. Um, what about Ukraine and what it what it says about that party? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Both parties have it. And as we saw Tuesday in Chicago, there are tremendous fault lines on race among Democrats in Chicago, and hopefully we'll get, have time to talk about absolutely. that. Absolutely. In Ukraine, absolutely. First of all, it's not only the Republicans, it's the country itself. Uh, back in May, uh, there was a poll that showed 60% of Americans supported the current war effort and the funding of the, you know, of the war against uh, for, for Ukraine against Russia. And now the number is down to 38%. So the, the American people are... are they still support the effort against Ukraine, but they want to know if it's open-ended and whether it'll ever end. And that's what Biden has been very successful with so far in getting our allies in line and for the most part getting Congress in line. But there's a sense, even from erstwhile allies like Mitch McConnell, I think there's a time limit. They say, look, this can't go on forever. And of course, Republicans who just want to see uh, Biden defeated on any on any policy initiative he has, will oppose his effort in Ukraine, especially led by the Tucker Carlson's and the Donald Trump's of the world, who would obviously support Russia over Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, but but that hasn't really been I mean, right. I'm just wondering, um, there are Republicans who disagree with that, who support um, helping Ukraine. Um, where does that head in, in the coming months as the presidential politics heats up? Well, I mean, right now we've seen presidential candidates, certainly Donald Trump and probable presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, who, as you said in your introduction, uh, they say, well, where, you know, it's nice to uh, support freedom and, uh, and and liberty in Ukraine, but how about East Palestine? So there's a lot of, and then what about the southern border? Whatever, you know, forget about the border with Ukraine and Russia. What about the southern border where Democrats will agree that it's just untenable and it's, it's almost a sieve where everybody is just, you know, there are more and more people coming here illegally than ever before, maybe because they feel that Biden will give them a break. But right now, the border problems is, is you know, putting the Democrats on the defensive. In general, do you think an isolationist trend among Republicans plays well with the larger electorate? Well, I do. I mean, especially, you know, we talked for years about Vietnam. And, and there were so many candidates on both parties over the years that said, no more Vietnam. So when Donald Trump was running for president in 2015 and 2016, and he said, enough already with this stuff, enough of this. You know, we, we've been sucked into these little foreign wars where we just lose uh, American lives. And for what? I mean, what did Afghanistan get us? Uh, what did Vietnam get us? So, so I think that does play well. But at the same time, when you see Russia, 
uh, you know, the, the atrocities that they've uh, perpetrated in Ukraine and the thoughts of perhaps Ukraine is not the final target. Maybe they go into Poland. Maybe they go into Belarus. Maybe they go into, you know, Estonia and Latvia and other, other countries. So I think there's a good portion of the country that, you know, not because of, not because of memories of the Cold War, but just watching what Moscow is doing right now that says that you just can't let up. Otherwise, they'll they'll just run free. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. My guest is political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. You want to weigh in on national politics this hour? This is your chance. 614-292-8513 or email us at allsides at WOSU.org. Uh, yeah, I mean, who you, you never know what's going to pop up. It's still a long time before Election Day. And who knew a train was going to derail with a bunch of toxic stuff on it, you know, uh, in the well, middle well, of a well, little... But when I, I train a thousand trains a year derail, and I don't know if toxic stuff by the by the extent that happened in East Palestine is what's happening all over the country. But but this because because it's the Republicans controlling the House because they want to make life miserable for Joe Biden. Um, they're going after Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, who, as far as I know, has really little to do with this. I mean, it's really. Um, the EPA and the toxic cleanup and things like that, and the NSTB. Yeah, uh, I say I say the NSTB is probably more knee deep in sure. this. Yeah, although the EPA I believe is on site as well in yeah. East Palestine uh, for the cleanup. But so much of it is politics. Look, you know the, the the Democrats have been saying, well, the Trump administration spent years deregulating the industry right. and 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 getting rid of um, uh, safety controls. Now, of course, Republicans say that it has nothing to do with the derailment in East Palestine. But the fact is, for now, they're saying, why didn't the Biden administration do something when the previous president spent four years basically deregulating every industry he could find? Right. I mean, the question is going to go before Congress to one degree or another. It may never get out of committee, it may be, but it is being taken up uh, in Congress to it, fix some of the regulations um, that were uh, on. I guess, just unraveled during the Trump administration. But there's already other Republicans coming out saying, yeah, no regulations. We're not we don't want to regulate the you know, we're not going to we're not going to go for that. Exactly. We we, we really want to blame the Repo the Democrats, but protecting the American people with regulations to make the industry safer. No, we're not going to have any of that. You notice and you heard that in the uh, in the NPR newscast that it's the Senate that's going to have the uh, Southern and uh, the Norfolk Southern Railroad officials. Yeah, not the House. And the Senate, which happens to be Democratic-controlled. Right, exactly. Uh, let's see. Um, Charles in London, you're on the air. Hi, Charles. Yeah, good morning. I'd like to uh, congratulate Joe Biden, which I rarely do on the air. It, I thought that he had his Leonidas moment, a very brave trip into Ukraine, uh, basically – you know, putting it on the line for something he believes in. But at the same time, I have to say that just days after the, re the revelations from the Dominion filings about the right-wing echo chamber and, and information silos, John Kirby goes on Fox News Sunday, and he's the national security advisor, senior national security council advisor. And to me, the type of disinformation which has uh, uh, instigated insurrections and all other types of harmful things to our uh, poll workers and educational workers 
to not be addressed by him is exactly the reason why, despite all of his achievements, Joe Biden is still polling underwater, under 50 percent. This is politics. Messaging matters. Inspiration matters. And it's the same thing with the with the uh, with regulation. When Texas had people die because of a deep freeze because of their deregulated energy infrastructure, did the Democrats come and say, this is why we need smart regulation? Oops. Uh, you know what? I think I accidentally I think I did that. I'm so sorry. But I think point point taken, um, Ken Rudin. Well, I would have loved to hear Charles finish. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, piling on here. But, I mean, he does make a lot of good points that, I mean, just the thought of, uh, this is just taking something out of this uh, from, from what he said, but just the thought of Kevin McCarthy giving the January 6th files to Tucker Carlson. Could you imagine the Democrats doing something like that? Could you imagine Nancy Pelosi giving the January 6th files to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, MSNBC and and people people like that, the Republicans would have a fit. They 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 burn down the Capitol once again. So it just seems like Republicans are more willing to do what it takes to make the point than the Democrats are. And uh, you know when Charles began his point, saying there are a lot of things that the Biden administration should be proud of, uh, but they don't have somebody who could argue it uh, to the point where. They're winning a, a popular uh, popular support. So I think the communications the department in the White House is not good. I'm not impressed with the White House press secretary at all, Ron Klain, who a lot of people say was an effective chief of staff before he resigned. I didn't think he was either. I just thought, you know, the, the, the Biden has a lot to crow about, and yet we're not hearing about it. He's still more on the defensive than anything else. The fact is that he... There are some Democrats who say, and there are other Democrats who really believe this, that he may be, he, Biden may be one of the most effective presidents in recent years, but you'd never know it by the polling ratings. And that has a lot to do with the politics of the administration. Right. The messaging. What do you think is that that's been an issue for, in my opinion, decades uh, for the Republic, for the Democrats, that they're bad on messaging, they're bad on crowing, they're bad on getting. I mean, after the America, uh, the Affordable Care Act passed, it, it was sort of like, okay, it's done. Now, you know, they don't really want to talk about it and make sure everybody knows. They ran away from the Obamacare moniker for a while, but I think he eventually embraced it. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it, you know, the re- Republicans certainly are gutsier. They're uh, they're certainly not fearful of uh, bad press uh, because they expect bad press anyway. I mean, Ron DeSantis doesn't even talk to the lamestream media anymore because he he feels he won't get a fair shake. So why should he bother talking to anybody? So this is the Republican mindset that they'll just do what it takes. I mean, the fact that they're jumping on Pete Buttigieg because he's gay and because he brought his husband on on a, a, a U.S. you know a jet uh, to, to to visit some country. I mean that that has nothing to do with anything. And yet, why not throw it out there? Why not throw it out there? Donald Trump Jr. and God forgive me for quoting him, but he said the other day he said the what he said the the mentally retarded senator from Pennsylvania or the mentally uh, in you know something like that. I mean this is horrific. And yet, you know, look look. I mean there are a lot of people who look at Fox News and say, well look at Dominion. That proves that. The whole thing is just a charade, and they don't believe in a word they say. But 
A lot of people, the millions of people who do watch Fox and listen to Fox, believe in what they say. So poor, the poor Democrats, I don't, I don't feel sorry for the Democrats because, because you know, if they can't stand up to the Margaret, you know, the, to, to the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren mm-hmm. Boberts of the world, then uh, then they don't deserve to. Let's talk about the Chicago mayoral election. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost, uh, came in third in a nonpartisan primary, now goes to a runoff between the top two candidates. Chicago's just one city, obviously. It's a big one. But do you see any broader implications about big city politics playing out nationally? I like, do. Yeah. I do. And I, I think people will say it started two years ago in New York City when Eric Adams, who was yep. the Brooklyn Borough President, who's African-American, uh, but, he, but, but he has nothing to do with the first black Mayor David Dinkins, and that Eric Adams ran a tough on crime, tough on liberals, even though it's a Democrat uh, campaign. And we also saw that the liberal uh, district attorney of San Francisco was recalled by the voters. Basically, what I'm getting, what I'm feel sensing is that even in so-called liberal cities, liberal big cities like New York, like Chicago, as we saw on Tuesday, that they voted for Paul Vallis, who is I mean, certainly was the most conservative of the nine candidates on the ballot. He's he said, you know, we got to support the police. He got the endorsement of the FOP uh, and he's running again in the runoff. Well, first of all, before we get to the runoff, Lori Lightfoot um, basically uh, did nothing to stench the stop the uh, spread of, you know, violent crime. Uh, Chicago was a mess to begin with, and it got even worse. It didn't help her, the fact that she fought with everybody, with teachers, with policemen, with, with everybody, and she made enemies wherever she went. When she was elected four years ago, it was supposed to be a breath of fresh air. She was an outsider. She was a new candidate. She was uh, not only African-American, but uh, an open lesbian. And somehow this was supposed to be great news. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I just wonder about the whole outsider thing, because when you're an outsider, you also come in without the connections that most big city politicians have by the time they reach mayor. I mean, she didn't have a she didn't have a machine. She did not. She did not know how to work the system because, uh, you know, so somehow saying an outsider, it's good during the campaign. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. And once you take office, look, Jimmy Carter, if you remember the beginning, I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider. He yes. had no relationship with Speaker of the House. Tip O'Neill and didn't know a lot what to do because he was this outsider. Um, not that Ronald Reagan was an insider. I mean, he was an outsider too, but but he played the game better than Jimmy Carter was able to. I'd love to at some point talk about the fascinating to me, the, the separation between Jimmy Carter, who I think was far uh, I, look, not a good president and who turned out to be one of the greatest humanitarians in the history of the world, but that's just... Oh, I, have, I definitely want to talk about Jimmy Carter, uh, but we're going to take a break right now. Wait, wait don't we have oh. three hours for today's show? <laughs> I know, it. I know. <laughs> uh, you hang on, that's Ken Rudin, uh, host of Political Junkie Podcast. We're going to be right back. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at org. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. 
Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. While Democrats await President Biden's announcement to seek re-election, Republicans are starting to throw their hats into the ring or send signals that they are definitely seriously thinking about it. But the calculus is tougher for Republicans. We're talking about national politics this hour. Still with us, political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. We'll post that on our website at wosu.org slash allsides. So... Um, Nikki Haley announces her candidacy for president. We've already kind of talked. Well, I don't know if we talked about that or not. It was a couple, three weeks ago. Maybe not. What do you make of that? Well, um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, there were several Vicky, uh, there were several Nikki Haley's, which is a problem. There was a Nikki Haley who stood up to Donald Trump, said I could never endorse him. Uh, anybody who stands up who won't stand down the Ku Klux Klan will never get my endorsement. And then once her candidate, Marco Rubio, got out of the race, she suddenly became a Trump apologist, uh, both before and after she became uh, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Um, So I don't know. I don't know what she brings to the race. I don't know what anybody, to be honest with you, other than Trump and, and, and DeSantis bring to the Republican race, even though there should be supposed to be no shortage of candidates, Mike Pompeo, uh, uh, maybe Chris Sununu, uh, the governor of New Hampshire, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in, uh, Nikki, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Nome, uh, uh, Christy Nome of, of South Dakota, mm-hmm. he's talking about it. And of course, there's also Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who everybody's talking about. No, nobody's talking about. But I mean, he is an Ohio, uh, you know, uh, tech guy who wants to be president. So... Mm-hmm. There's no shortage. But anyway, here's the fact. The fact is that the Republican Committee, National Committee, announced this week that the first debate will be at the end of August. So even though, like, Jeb Bush has endorsed uh, Ron DeSantis, even though DeSantis is not a candidate yet, by the time the the, 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 the candidates start to debate, I think we'll have a full field. Are you surprised by that? Uh, endorsement Bush for um, I am DeSantis because I mind. think that hurts DeSantis. I mean, uh, yep. Jeb Bush, first of all, once upon a time in 2016, 2015, I thought he was the front runner. <laughs> Shows how much I know. But I mean, that, that that's what's the danger of, you know, smart, smart aleck analysts deciding <laughs> who's the front runner before the voters have a chance. But I mean, Jeb Bush is now, you know, uh, an old story, a defeated candidate. Uh, who really never got started in 2016. And for him to oppose Donald Trump, Donald Trump will probably love that. But uh, but, but maybe just gives uh, DeSantis more credentials because uh, uh, establishment credentials, because uh, Jeb Bush is certainly the establishment. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean, but DeSantis, I mean, he's just out there doing this and that every other day. It's... uh... Kind of amazing. There is a method to the madness, though, because he is building up organizations in different states. He is showing up like he showed up in, in conservative areas of New York City, conservative area outside of Chicago, and basically talking about woke politics. I mean, 
I mean, if he says woke one more time, I'm going to fall asleep. Um, but I mean, he just loves that word, you know, just like just how just how Donald Trump would love China, 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 China. Uh, Ron DeSantis love woke, woke, woke. I mean, this will be a fun debate. You know, I, I want to drill down just a little bit in the Nikki Haley question. I mean, she's got credentials. She's a former governor. She's a former right. ambassador to the United Nations. You know, as if well, as if a Republican nominee needs those kinds of credentials anymore. Um, but um, I'm just kind of wondering: Are there expectations for a female Republican candidate that their male counterparts don't have to grapple with? Well, you know, there's only been five female presidential candidate, Republican presidential candidates in history, right? I mean, there was there was uh, um, Carly Fiorina, there was Elizabeth Dole. There was uh, um, Michelle Bachman, and there was uh, and there was um, Margaret Chase Smith in 1964. Nobody came close to winning a primary. Uh, I don't know if I mean it's interesting that we have a black president before we had a female president, and I don't know if that says something about the country and misogynism, misogyny, and things like that. But uh, I don't know the Republican Party. Do you think there'll be a big field? By August, when the debate started, big field. Well, not the way it was in uh, in in twenty sixteen, okay, <clears throat> and certainly not the way the Democrats had in twenty twenty. There had to be twenty plus candidates running for the Democrats in twenty twenty. But I think it'll be sizable. I mean, I just don't know. A lot has to do with what the investigation that Donald Trump is going to look like. If he if there's an indictment and people say it's oh it's coming any day, we have no idea. But was it Jack Smith, the special counsel who's investigating? There's so many investigations going on in Georgia with Smith's investigation. If there's an indictment that changes the ball game, then maybe other candidates will get in and they don't have to worry about Trump saying bad words about them. But if Trump's in it, it's still Trump's nomination to lose, even though, you know, there are some polls that show DeSantis leading Trump in states like New Hampshire. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. I'm talking with political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. Questions, comments about national politics, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. I can't imagine you haven't been following the uh, lawsuit uh, against Fox News and uh, regarding Dominion voting systems Um and, 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 and how the personalities, the news that's come out, how the personalities who spread misinformation about the 2020 presidential election knew they were spreading bunk. It's startling to watch how, how, how unguarded they were by writing to each other and saying that basically we have to say, we have to parrot these lies because our audience is going to desert us. They'll go to Newsmax or OAN and so therefore we have to keep putting on the Mike Liddell's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the, you know, the, the crazy people out there who were, call, you know, insisting on these conspiracy theories, why Trump lost in 2020. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It just shows that the whole thing is a sham. And so when I see now Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, you know, saying, well, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you just know, you don't know whether they believe any of it or they're saying it be, to keep their audience. I mean, whatever you think of Rachel Maddow, I don't think she, she cares about what the audience is, has to say. She has a core set of beliefs. I don't know if that's the case on Fox News. Exactly. Let's see. Tony 
in Columbus. You're on the air. Hi, Tony. Hi, Ann. Uh, I have a, a comment to make. Ken, I agree with you. I I can't stand to hear Ron DeSantis say the word woke anymore. And I think about it, and I think about it. And if that's the way some of the conservatives feel, that they, you know, they are not woke, what's the opposite of that? Asleep, unaware, <laughs> unconscious? I mean, I, I think there's a play there for the or for the uh, liberals to say, you know, all right, if you're not woke, what are you? Yeah, I don't know if, if DeSantis is the first one to talk about it, or maybe it was uh, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor of Virginia, who was, uh, who was uh, elected for the first time in, in 2021. But the fact is, it's, it's, it seems to be their favorite word. And basically, it's, it's just a lazy way of saying that I don't want to deal with facts. I don't want to deal with reality. I don't want to deal with science. I mean, I mean, anybody who's who's the governor of Florida and takes on Disney and does everything it can to hurt the Disney Corporation, what gaining, what gain do you make on that? What, how do you, what does it say about your ability to attract businesses to your state? So I don't know what they're doing. I know there's a very angry uh, audience out there who thinks that everybody, you know, is, is just part of this conspiracy and, 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 you know, gender politics and woke politics, but, it just seems lazy, but of course, if 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 the Democrats don't have a response, see that's what I like about Pete Buttigieg. I mean, whether you agree with his stance or not, he is combative. He'll go on Fox News and say you're full of crap. I mean, he'll tell you that, um, but there are not that many Democrats who can do that. Tony, thanks a lot for that call. Six one four two nine two eight five one three is the number to call if you have a question or comment for my guest, political journalist Ken Rudin. Let's go back to Dominion for a second. Rupert Murdoch, the chairman of Fox Corporation, acknowledged in a deposition uh, that the Fox News host endorsed false claims in the 2020 election. I mean, isn't that go to the heart of Dominion's complaint? Yes, it does. It I mean, I, I, I just I'm, I'm it's it's astonishing. As astonishing as those emails were among, you know, yeah. uh, Suzanne Scott and and uh, Tucker Carlson and Sean Bannerly and people like that. The, the here what what Rupert Murdoch said about his own reporters who uh, who say, you oh, know, they didn't believe it. I mean, it's like he's almost throw, you know, the famous throwing under the bus. Yeah. Line. But why would you do that to your top? Uh, correspondence. I don't know why, unless by doing that you divorce Fox News. I mean, that's not ridiculous. It's like, it's like, I mean, if, if I'm Fox News and I have correspondents who I'm paying on the air and they say these things, how do you separate yourself from what they're saying? I don't know if you can. I mean, it's so hard to prove libel. And, and from the beginning, this was a tough case to prove. But everything I hear seems like, oh my goodness, they just box yeah. themselves into a corner. Yeah, because you can't, you have to prove intent or you have to prove willful. You, they right. have proven willful, uh, what, not malice. ignorance, malice, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, malice and, it's malice and wonderland, exactly. So, so Fox News, to wit, I mean, Murdoch makes the point that since the 2020 election when they called it, kind of the, you know, uh, that am amazing night um, when Fox News was the first to call. Arizona. The, yeah, call, I'm sorry, call Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Um, ever since then, they've been kind of clawing their way back. And I think it's sort of interesting that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is 
paying homage to them by handing over those January 6th uh, uh, video recordings. To me, that's just so... Again, again, as I said earlier, if, if Rachel Maddow, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi gave all the tapes to mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow, the Republicans would demand an investigation and then and talk about getting to getting getting rid of their license and things like that. It's just remarkable that everything everybody's demanded of Kevin McCarthy, he's he's succumbed to. I mean, I mean, the, the people he's putting on the 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 oversight committees. They're the, 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 the conspiracy theorists, the whack jobs of Congress. And yet he feels that uh, that's one of the reasons why we're still talking about George Santos. He needs so, so many of these votes that he can't even afford to get rid of somebody who is such. I mean, look, do I think George Santos will still be in Congress at the end of the year? Absolutely not. And I'll, I could bet I'll bet on that. But but my goodness, to have somebody like that, some people like that, who are either filled with lies or hate or conspiracy theories. And this is his coalition that get, got him elected speaker. My goodness. Right. He said, but it gives him another opportunity to trash the mainstream media as he, you know, the lamestream as uh, DeSantis calls it, um, saying that the press seems jealous. Yeah, I know. Um, I heard him say that. Yeah. I, I, I you know, um, how he do said, you yeah, think? The reason, the reason the Washington Post and everybody else are criticizing the movie because they're jealous. Yeah. They want the scoop, but I mean to call to uh, if you're going to call Tucker Carlson a fair uh, arbitrator of news, then then the definition of journalism has certainly changed since I I began practicing it. Um, what what do you think? How do you think Carlson's going to manage this? Um, they're still looking at it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you can. I, I mean, I don't know what you can do. You know, they were already saying, well, it was the it was the Democrats. Who, when they when they showed the uh, video, they showed escape routes and they held Al Qaeda, and we're not going to do that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, Tucker Carlson, I no longer can predict what he's going to say. He always has that stern, make believe face, like he's really listening and it's concerned true. about that, as if his mind isn't already made up. But it's just part of the division in cable news, but especially among the the Fox Corporation that that. They have a different narrative about January 6th and about Donald Trump and they're right and the rest of the uh, but, r- the world is wrong. Well, but now we know they may not be saying that behind closed doors. That's what they're saying. Well, that we know. Not, it's outward they facing. Not be, they definitely didn't say that behind closed doors. I've, ha- I've heard no defense from Carlson or Hannity or anybody saying, well, what I meant was. Right. Well, yeah. actually, Hannity said, Hannity said that, well, I wanted to give them an opportunity to say uh, what they believe in because it's, you know, that's that's us at Fox News. But but <laughs> it's just, you know, for, for Tucker Carlson to say, we're losing support to Newsmax. We can't allow that to happen. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I sound like I'm naive to think that Profit is more important than the truth, but I'd like to think that. Um, Donald Trump is speaking this week at the Conservative Political Action Committee conference, and it was once considered a main GOP event. Now, some in the party feel like it's just too much of a sideshow due to Trump. What are your I used thoughts? To, I used to go to CPAC a lot, and I always had a lot of fun. I mean, it was just it was zany, it was fun, it was conservative, but it was it was Ronald Reagan conservative, not. You know, you know, uh, Matt Gates conservative. So, I mean, I do remember, I do remember uh, the first time I went was like 1987, and 
uh, they had a contest. They had a contest. Who is the most dangerous man in America? Now, uh, originally, now uh, at the end, Sam Donaldson won the award, but second place was um, uh, Barbara Mikulski, and they thought that was hysterically funny. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that they would pull. And I see, you know, yuck, 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 there are a, a bunch of laughs. Um, but now they're just, uh, first of all, Ma Matthew Schlapp, who's the head of the ACU, has been accused of, of, uh, of, of, of inappropriately touching uh, a male member of the uh, Herschel Walker's campaign staff. And uh, and that and, and then he's also been accused of uh, just you know you know dictatorial policies by running the American Conservative Union. So, but the the people who are showing up are the you know I mean Donald Trump Jr. is one of the headline speakers, and that tells you all you want to know. If you've ever if you really ever, if you have some kind of maybe ten minutes to spare one day, just go to his Twitter rants. It's unbelievable. It's just like madness and obviously he wouldn't do it if he weren't touching a cord somewhere but it's just it's just craziness uh the president's uh, former president trump is also planning to visit iowa soon are you surprised it's taken so long since its announcement last fall well he did announce earlier than he i expected and i don't know why he needed to announce so early mm -hmm. because now you know he can't spend certain money with his packs with you know the packs that are ostensibly supporting him uh he can't be on the air all the time because he's a declared candidate. I don't know why he did that. Basically, he announced and did nothing. Um, yeah. But um, but I mean, look, you know, we're still a couple of we're six months away from the first debate. We're a year away from Iowa, New Hampshire. Um, I think now's the time to do it with Nikki Haley in the race. Others will get in soon. It's interesting that Tim Scott, also from South Carolina, matter of fact, Tim Scott was appointed to the Senate by a governor by the name of Nikki Haley. He's about to announce his candidacy, we, we think. And then, as I said, there's, you know, the John Sununu's and the uh, and the maybe Chris Christie. Ted Cruz wants it. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, part of me thinks it's going to be fun to watch because Donald Trump hates the fact that DeSantis is getting any kind of coverage. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was on he was on this crazy interview with Sebastian Gorker, the Gorka this week, and and Gore, they were trying to come up with a good nickname for for uh, for Ron DeSantis. Originally, Trump called him Ron DeSanctimonious, mm -hmm. and then Trump said, "Well, there's another name out there, Meatball, but I'm not a favorite. I don't like that one." He's the one who called him Meatball. I mean, it just it's just that's it's that's pretty classic, though. Stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, schoolyard stuff. But 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 people keep saying that. To know Ron DeSantis is to not like him. And the closer yeah. you get to him, the more uh, droll, uh, uh, unfunny, and mean he is. So, my goodness. My goodness. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. My guest is political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. Questions or comments, give us a call, 614-292-8513. We're going to shift our attention uh, to... Um, the uh, question of pre former President Jimmy Carter, of course, and also want to talk about John Fetterman and what's going on uh, with that Pennsylvania senator. So we'll be right back. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.
This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman remains hospitalized for depression, uh, perhaps related to his pre-election stroke. And most of his colleagues, even Republicans, are letting him be. Uh, We're talking national politics this hour with political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. I get it. Democrats are letting him be. You know, John Fetterman's win gave them a little bit of a cushion uh, for now in the Senate. But what about Republicans? What do you make of this, Ken? We're just turning a corner on the stigma associated with mental health issues. Well, not everybody. As I said, you know, uh, Donald Trump Jr. called him the vegetable senator from Pennsylvania. I mean, again, Donald Trump Jr. is not in Congress and he doesn't represent anything other than his crazy family. But the fact is, those words are still out there. Of course, you know, when you're a certain age, you you remember uh, Thomas Eagleton in 1972, who was forced after the off the Democratic ticket led by George McGovern because he admitted having, uh, uh, you know, being uh, treated mental, for depression, uh, right? Depression and electric shock, shock therapy. therapy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and I, I mean, remember, I remember campaign buttons at the time that said, I'm crazy about Tom Eagleton, like it was a joke. It was something to make fun of. It's tragic what's happened to John Fetterman. Obviously, when you, I mean, I don't know this other than what I've read, but when you have a stroke and your your mobility and your ability to think is hampered it's depressing it's like somebody who's always been active and you know you know you always think of him in the gym shorts and his hoodie and it was always he had so much fun he didn't look like he was having fun certainly during that debate that post-stroke debate where it was just so painful to watch and yet he won anyway i mean you're talking about whether his victory was important that gave the democrats the 51st seat that they needed to uh to have a you know, it was 50-50 for the first two years of Biden's term, and Fetterman winning that Republican seat gave it 51 seats. So it's sad. It, it's tragic what he's going through. And, of course, our hearts go out to him. But but this is real stuff. I mean, we've seen several members of the Senate uh, suffer strokes in the past year or two. Uh, the senator from New Mexico uh, suffered one, and there was another senator, I think, from... I'm not sure, but it was another one. I mean, in other words, this is not an uncommon thing, but it's also apparently not uncommon to go through depression. And I'd like to think that our uh, thoughts about that that situation, that uh, depression has uh, been enlightened since 1972, but I'm not convinced of it completely. Jay in Lancaster, you're on the air. Hi, Jay. Hi. Um, I just wanted to call in and uh, comment on the situation with John Fetterman. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this aspect really humanizes him. Um, it's nice to see someone who's in such a complex position of power able to embrace that, you know, they're human and they have difficulties going on and being willing to take care of themselves even though they're in the public eye and under such scrutiny. Um, And I don't live in Pennsylvania, but I would 
feel privileged to have someone like John Fetterman representing me. You know, I think that's an interesting point that has been made as well in some of the stuff I've read, Ken, that he could have said he was in the hospital for any number of reasons, but he admitted that it was, and you know, and no one would have thought anything of it. He's suffered a stroke, but he's admitted that it's for depression. Yeah, no, first of all, you always hear about people who uh, suffer from deep depression, who who attempt suicide or commit suicide. And the fact that he said that I am suffering from depression, I think helps a lot of people who are suffering as well and who have contemplated suicide, which is just, you know, I mean, for everybody remaining, it's just such a horrific uh, act to take. But so, yes, I agree. You know, I agree with Jay that that uh, it, it's courageous. It's the right thing to do. But, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, he's not back yet. Jay, I mean, thanks. I was thinking. I was thinking, like for example, my congressman is Jamie Raskin. Of my, you know, where I live is Jamie Raskin in Maryland, and he is. Uh, I mean, he has just been outstanding. He's suffering, I think, from brain cancer. He's getting treatments and, right now, isn't he? Right, yeah. and he's wearing the Steve Van Stevie Van Zant uh, <laughs> yes. head headpiece from you know the Bruce Springsteen's yeah. uh, band, and. Um, and I've seen on 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 uh, on Twitter people like saying that well that's okay he's going to die soon, I mean well of course again I I, I can't I shouldn't compare Twitter to people yeah. from Earth, um, but I still just the hate and the ugliness that's out there and I think things like Twitter have given people a license to say things that they never would have said 20, 30 years ago. Jay and Lancaster, thanks for that call. Uh, Rob and Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Rob. Hi, Ann. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to point out one thing when we talk about the Democrats and uh, the, the the way they present themselves. In some ways, they feel they're above the needed communication styles. Clearly, they allow the agenda to be set by Republicans, but you know we've got the facts on our side. We're three times better on job creation, three times better on the stock market, 50% better at controlling debt, Hundred times less corrupt in terms of arrested and indicted officers. If Democrats put out their message, pro democracy, um, but they get distracted by the color of Barack Obama's suits, the Benghazi hearings, Hillary's email. These are things that um, people like Katie Porter and uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, if they were brought into the strategy of communication. They don't get distracted by what the Republicans are saying. Uh, We have a better argument. Even on the issue of abortion, abortions dropped in the 40 years after Roe. They dropped five times faster under Democratic presidents than Republican presidents. And Democrats don't put that out there. In other words, taking care of women's health works. Democrats should be promoting aggressively their view of governance and and the things that they do that work. Let, let, let's see. Hear... Without corruption, without cynicism. Okay. Well, let, me, let me get Ken in on this. Ken, Rudin? Yeah, no, I agree. Rob is exactly right. And actually, I will give Joe Biden some credit. I thought the State of the Union uh, message uh, you know, earlier was very effective. That, I mean, I, can I remember a single line from it? No, other than, 
you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene yelling, you're a liar. But I, I, but, but I do, do remember that he was, gave a very effective defense of his administration of what they've accomplished. But, but, again, but Rob is exactly right that even, you know, things like that that sell well on a bumper sticker, um, you know, the uh, building bridges and fixing roads, uh, things like that, that doesn't sell well the way that, you know, crime may be down and, 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 and the jobs are up and more jobs are being created and things like that. Um, Katie Porter is a good example. Of course, she's a California Democrat running for the Senate, Sheldon Whitehouse. What a great name for somebody who wants to be president. He's a senator from Rhode Island, but they are both very effective in making the case for their party and not many people. That's that's the that's why I think Republicans hate Pete Buttigieg so much because he's very effective. He's very articulate. Uh, he, he makes the case and he puts uh, he puts uh, uh, Republicans in their place. Speaking of Jamie Raskin, you should listen to him what he had to say this week in a debate with Lauren Boebert. I mean, you know, I, I mean, even I could debate Lauren Boebert, but. But but Jamie Raskin was just magnificent with it, and not because he's a Democrat, but because he stated facts and he tore down the the in, in, inane stuff that Bobert was saying. Yeah, that kind of went a little bit kind of semi-viral. I want to uh, so uh, yeah, I recommend people check that out, and you can see his incredible scarf around his head. Um, Jimmy Carter. Um, that was the first election I ever voted in that year. When he ran, it was nineteen twenty-four, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and um, I interviewed him some years ago after he, actually, it was a couple weeks before he was diagnosed with the brain cancer, and um, it was when his last memoir came out. Um, I had thirty minutes with him. I had thirty questions, which should have lasted two hours. He answered every. I mean, he was so succinct and brilliant. You know, he's former. Um, Nuclear engineer, right? I mean, the guy was no dumb. Were you uh, were you down in Plains or were you no? I had him on the air. Yeah, he came to Columbus oh, wow, to sell his fantastic. book. Yeah, I know it was it was amazing, but it was scary because he was so smart and you just boom, 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 boom. I mean, he succinct, thoughtful answers. wasn't mean. <laughs> I was, I, he was just classic Jimmy Carter. You know what's what's amazing? I've I talked to I've talked to a lot of people in the past couple of weeks about Jimmy Carter, and the younger people I speak to are more are more madly in love with uh, with Carter. I guess they don't remember the presidency, and I'll be honest with you, the presidency was not great. Right. There were huge lines to get gas. There was the of course the hostage situation, which uh, the White House seemed inept. Uh, he is some of his campaigning against Ted Kennedy. He would sound like a conservative when it helped him. It sounded like a liberal if it would help him. I mean, uh, you know, he there was no question that he would do what it took. Uh, a matter of fact, his famous quote, if Ted Kennedy runs for president, I'll kick his ass or I'll whip his ass is what he said. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, the inflation was tough and unemployment was, was high. Yeah. And it was no surprise that Ronald Reagan won the landslide he did in 1980. But in the post-Carter presidency, I don't I can't think of a person. I mean, believe it or not, uh, Herbert Hoover stands among them among great post-presidents uh, who were not good presidents. But Carter was magnificent, caring about, I mean, his humanitarian efforts and building homes and 
and and caring about people around the world and and people who were starving. I mean, uh, did Barack Obama care for him? No. Did Jim? Did Bill Clinton like him? No. Um, a lot of times, Jimmy Carter thought he was his own Secretary of State under Bill Clinton's presidency, but he cared, and he and, and he cared to this day. He cares. I mean, uh, you know, until he went into hospice, uh, every word that came out of him was just like, how could we not love somebody who respects our fellow man like that? So it's amazing to watch two completely different people, uh, one who served as president and one who served much longer as a ex-president and how different those two lives were. Yeah. But it's just amazing. It's just amazing to watch. I envy that I never met him. I never got to uh, interview him. That's great that you got to do that. Yeah, he was he was uh, it was he was very kind, uh, but but not, you know, solicitous. Uh, he was just a, a good interview. But it, like I said, I was sweating bullets because I thought if I run out of questions, I read every page of that book, too, because I was <laughs> I had to know what I was talking about. And what um, a love story that is. I mean, yeah. he basically knew Rosalind since they were teenagers. Yeah, 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 no, yeah no, that's no. right. No, no, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, my goodness, I mean, you know, I mean, you and I, Anne, if we spend 15 minutes together, enough already, enough. But <laughs> but all those years together, it's just, it's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I, he's been noted, you know, around the world as probably, as you said, drove Bill Clinton up a wall because of it, but a, a great yeah. diplomat for the United States. Yeah. So, well, uh, there's nothing more to talk about. No, one, one thing, though, in, in the 30 seconds we have left or whatever, yeah. um, let's pay attention to what's happening in Chicago. Mm -hmm. The election, the runoff election of April 4th, Paul Vallis, the white candidate, uh, uh, Dow Johnson, Dow, no, not Dow, no, um, uh, uh, Johnson. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, I, I just got his name. Um, uh, the uh, African-American candidate. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's just, um, uh, watch how race plays and, and watch how Democrats respond to efforts to either curtail the police, defund the police, or build up the police. Uh, there are no, you know, there's been no Republican in Chicago elected since 1927, but the all Republicans are backing Paul Vallis because he's the law and order candidate. Right. Ken Rudin, thanks so much for your time today. Brandon jo Marcus Brandon Charleston. Johnson. Okay. Thank you, Marcus Charleston. Brandon, Brandon Johnson. Johnson. Ken Rudin, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. That's political journalist Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. We'll have a link to that on our website at wosu.org slash allsides. Thanks for listening today. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Mm -hmm.